0: Visit carp.ca.
1: Good afternoon. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Bob comsick in for Libby Nimer. A new report's been released showing a startling statistic about those seeking palliative care. CARP's Chief Operating Officer and VP of Advocacy, Wanda Morris, will drop by to talk about it. And the Toronto Sun's Sue Ann Levy's here to talk about a new book she's written called Underdog, Confessions of a Right-Wing Gay Jewish Muckraker. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. She was a former interim leader of the federal PC party and one-time mayor of St. John, New Brunswick. Elsie Wayne died recently at age 84. Former Liberal New Brunswick Premier Frank McKenna called her one of the last large political personalities in this country. In 1993, Wayne and Jean Charest were the only PC MPs to win their seats in the Commons. She retired from politics in 2004. Canadian doctors want the federal government to commit more money to seniors' health care in the next health accord. The Canadian Medical Association has several recommendations for a new health accord, including more money for provinces with larger populations of seniors and funding for long-term care, home care, and for caregivers. The Liberals promised in their election platform to start negotiations on a new accord, but the details have yet to be determined. Canadian folk music legend Joni Mitchell made a rare public appearance at a concert in LA over a year after suffering an aneurysm. A photo on Mitchell's official website shows her at a recent Chick Corea concert. At a bar and grill in LA, the 72 year old was admitted to hospital in March 2015 for what was later revealed to be an aneurysm. And she holds the Guinness World Record as the oldest yoga instructor, an achievement we featured here on Zoomer Radio. Ida Herbert of Aurelia turned 100 recently. She marked the occasion with friends at the Aurelia YMCA, where she began her yoga teaching career at the age of 70. She retired a few years ago, but still does her daily sun salutations from her retirement home. She says the key to her longevity, a class of sherry every now and again. I'm Bob Komsic, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. A study published in the latest edition of the Canadian Medical Association Journal has some startling news about palliative care. Only 20 to 30 percent of those who want access to end-of-life care but don't have cancer are not getting it. That, despite the fact two-thirds of Canadians looking for such care, die of something other than cancer. Doctors say that patients need better access, and that could mean taking a new approach to palliative care. CARP's Chief Operating Officer and VP of Advocacy, Wanda Morris, is here to talk about it. Wanda, how much of the problem is that palliative care is usually only associated with cancer?
2: I think it's a significant problem, and and particularly a problem for many of our members, Um, not taking anything away from people suffering from cancer. But uh, 60 to 70 percent of deaths are not cancer related, yet they're only getting 20 to 30 percent of the palliative care in this country, and that's a big problem.
1: How do we improve? That situation.
2: It's not about trade-offs. We don't want to reduce the palliative care to cancer patients, but what we really want to do is increase the availability of palliative care. Um, I think it's a fundamental change we need to make. Right now, we have a few amazing but very small group of palliative care doctors who are providing palliative care. We need to make palliative care a part of every single doctor's training. If a doctor is dealing with serious illness, they need to be able to provide palliative care to their patients.
1: That sounds like it's going to take a while to turn that big boat around, though.
2: It's going to take a while, but as the longer we procrastinate, the longer it's going to take. So as soon as we start making little changes, there will be ripple effects. Um, right now, we know that a lot of people that r- could really benefit from palliative care are in acute care beds. Uh, that's not to their benefit, and that's also causing hardships in the health care system. So the, the time to get started is now.
1: But how do we do this? I mean, we, you say time to start is now baby steps, et cetera. How do we take those first steps to get rolling so that there is improved care?
2: Well, I think this study is really good because it's raised this issue and it's uh, flagged something that I think up to now has been flying under the radar. As an accountant, I've always say what gets measured gets managed. So now we know this is an issue and we can start focusing on it. There are a number of concrete steps that can be taken right away. First of all, in every curriculum, we should make sure that any doctor who's being trained is getting courses in palliation and how to provide palliative care. Uh, We should make sure that there continues to be funding for existing palliative care facilities and that new ones continue to be built. And I think very much we want to focus on providing palliative care at home. Individuals want to die at home. They want to, uh, to be there in the comfort of their own homes as much as possible. So it's really just a question of redirecting resources. And I think that's something that can be done fairly quickly.
1: Is CARP beating the drum for improvements in this area?
2: We are. It's been an issue that CARP has uh, taken to heart uh, for many, many years. We realize that, uh, that end-of-life care in Canada just has to get better. Uh, our medical system, to an extent, is focused on cure. And, and not that that's a bad thing, but we can even see it in the way it's organized. You tend to have doctors who focus on livers or lungs or kidneys. What we need to do is have doctors that treat uh, very frail patients at end-of-life and uh, are easers of death. I'm not saying that we should be supporting hastening death here, but just simply when people have had enough of aggressive treatment and they just want to die gently, we should make sure that our medical system supports that.
1: Is CARP looking at coming up with a maybe a heightened, a stepped-up campaign in this area in light of the results of this study?
2: For some time now, we've been working on a campaign called the Feet to the Fire campaign. The uh, federal government, uh, the Trudeau government, when they were campaigning, made a number of promises to seniors. A number of them were made right here at uh, CARP's offices, and we are holding their feet to the fire. One of those promises was about a significant investment in home care, and we understand that that is uh, being delivered. We're going to continue to monitor it being delivered, and part of that home care investment will be to support palliative of care. So that's how we're trying to make this happen.
1: And obviously Zoomers, CARP members can do their part as part of this campaign by putting the pressure on their MPs.
2: Absolutely. And of course, as you know, the strength of CARP is the strength of numbers. That's where our cloud is. So the more people that uh, can join CARP, uh, sign up their friends, the more power that we have and the more we are able to deal with this and all the other critical issues that face Canadians as we age
1: and if the cart members can't do this or they need help obviously they have family that can assist them in this area
2: and caregivers often bear a real brunt of what's happening uh, with, their, with their family members. We know, for example, that informal caregivers save all level of governments $25 billion a year. So certainly another issue that CARP is focused on is providing some more financial support to those caregivers so that everyone can live at home and uh, live and die with
1: dignity. That was Wanda Morris, COO and Vice President of Advocacy for CARP. I'm Bob Komsic in for Libby's Nimer this week, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. When we return, a familiar name to Toronto Sun readers is out with a
0: new book. Sue Ann Levy's in studio in just a moment. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Bob Komsik.
1: She's a newspaper reporter and columnist, a former provincial candidate for the Ontario PC Party, and now an author. Sue Ann Levy has written a tell-all autobiography called Underdog, Confessions of a Right-Wing Gay Jewish Muckraker. And she joins me now in studio. I'm going to start off with a real simple one. We'll wade into this. Why write it?
3: Well, uh, <laughs> I'm going to say two things. First of all, if you'd asked me three years ago, this was a three-year journey, whether I'd do it while working full-time, I'd say, you've got to have your head examined. It was so much work. It was truly a labor of love. Having said that, I think um, why I wrote it is that I felt that um, I grew up not having a voice. I grew up uh, being an underdog, and uh, for various reasons, um, I was bullied when I was younger, I was heavy, I battled my weight, I wore very thick glasses, and I was bullied in the schoolyard. I'm, I'm the classic case of being bullied. And uh, subsequent to that, I was uh, assaulted very seriously, left for dead when I was at uh, Carleton University in my last year of journalism, assaulted again in 2005. Uh, In addition to that, I lived for 20 years in the closet, so I was very much an outsider for many, many years, uh, and uh, I felt I didn't have a voice, and it wasn't until I was assaulted the second time that um, I sought professional help, and I'm very open about that in the book, that uh, I sought psychiatric help to get over the demons of being assaulted, and I worked throughout at City Hall when all of that was happening. And I felt that people like me didn't have a voice for so long that I wanted to be someone who could inspire and educate with this book and talk about what it was like to live through all these experiences and to cover uh, City Hall from the other side of things, like In a very left-wing town, covering City Hall, being a conservative muckraker, and being like a salmon swimming upstream, I wanted people to know what the other side was like, so for various reasons. And it was tremendously cathartic as well.
1: This is as much, if not maybe more so about you than it is about those that you would put under the microscope and you still do to this day.
3: It's actually a little bit of both. Um, the first co- three chapters are about uh, what drives me, what what, uh what motivates my crusade and and my desire to champion and my commitment to champion for the underdog and I've talked about all those things, but it also talks about the inside story and you know it's very funny because I went back and looked at the book uh, you've been through I've been through many incarnations and I went back and looked at it last week before the actual launch and I thought. I started reading some of the anecdotes, and I thought, oh, my God, I lived through all of this. These crazy people at City Hall who would mock me, disparage me, much as they did Rob Ford, uh, call me names, uh, run away from me, refuse to answer my questions, hide out in their offices. And I thought, you know, it was a wacky world, but uh, I truly had fun doing it.
1: (laughs) Not too many people would have known about this until now, I would imagine. Or Uh, gradually over the years, people started, you you started letting people in?
3: Yes. I think it really started um, in 2005 after I was assaulted the second time and I went to court. Um, I felt good. It was a hard journey. So I wrote about that after that and how the system had betrayed me. And then subsequent to that, as I came out um, in 2005, this was all happening simultaneously. When I came out, um, I met Denise on a story. I was championing for her as well. Um, we It was a, a column by a colleague uh, just before Pride Day in 2007 where he said that it was good to be gay and it was very trendy and fashionable. And I got very upset seeing that because I had lived this terrible, you know, life of 20 years in the closet. And I said, I got to write about, you know, living in the closet. I got to write something. And that's what led to it was a spur of the moment decision. And I wrote on Pride Day 2007 about living in the closet for 20 years. And uh, Denise really encouraged me to do so. And then, of course, two years later, we got married.
1: (laughs) Do you think or hope that when others read this, they will also speak out, maybe they haven't up to this point, maybe it'll give them their own voice?
3: I really hope that. I really hope that. I mean, when I covered City Hall for so many years, I kept watching what politicians, the arrogance of politicians, and, and I, you know, and frankly, the entitlement of the people uh, on council and, um, and some, how some of the media, not all, but some of the media would let it just go. I recall a story from very early on when I first started there. Um, when I was watching council and Norm Gardner, Uh, who happens to be a friend now, but I watched him fall asleep in the middle of council. And I'm thinking, is this okay? This is not okay. He's supposed to be in council for two days of a month. And I wrote about it, and he got very incensed about it. And then I realized that there was a lot of things being let go there. And so I I kept saying to myself, when are people going to wake up? And You know, and get angry about what politicians are doing, not doing for them, and doing to them. I think there is a silent majority out there who truly do care, but they have been beaten down. So I hope that this book will inspire them to speak up. I hope people who are still living in the closet will be inspired to to speak up. All of the above.
1: Is there another book in Sue Ann Levy?
3: Not while I'm working full-time, I can tell you that. I can most assuredly tell you that. But, yeah, I have a few ideas, actually. We'll see how this one goes.
0: I
1: think I already know the title for the next one, Underdog No More.
3: Yes, yes.
1: That was Sue Ann Levy, Toronto Sun columnist and first-time author. Her book, Underdog, Confessions of a Right-Wing Gay Jewish Muckraker, is in stores now. I'm Bob Komsik, in for Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. When we come back, a Zoomer country crossover legend and a Canadian to boot
0: is celebrating her birthday. Shania Twain turns 51. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide.
1: I'm Bob Komskin for Libby's Nimer. It's time for your international arts datebook. Tips for those of you jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown.
4: A new play in Cardiff, Wales, shares the experiences faced by today's refugees. Cast member Christina Dembenzi says the idea of the swarm is to get people talking.
3: Maybe we'll spark a conversation. And hopefully we'll get people thinking about the actual humans that are involved.
4: The Swarm is on stage at the Bute Town History and Arts Centre. The Rijksmuseum's Gallery of Honour in Amsterdam is displaying The Last Judgment, the 16th century work by Lucas van Leyden. It's just the second time in more than 450 years the altarpiece has been moved from its usual location in Leiden, Holland. In London... Until the end of the month, it's a royal open house at the official residence of Prince Charles and his wife Camilla. Clarence House showcases the five rooms where dignitaries are welcomed during official engagements. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Date Book.
1: Canada's own Shania Twain celebrated her 51st birthday. Born Eileen Regina Edwards, August 28, 1965... Twain has had an incredible life that's taken her from being small-town Ontario girl to one of the most successful musical artists of all time. Her childhood in Timmins was difficult, her parents earned little, and food was often scarce. When she was just eight years old, she started singing in local bars to help earn money for the family. She kept singing all the way through high school and into her 20s as she supported her younger siblings. Then, in the early 1990s, It all came together for Shania as she signed on with Mercury Records. Her first album brought her attention from inside the industry, but it was her second album, The Woman In Me, that brought her widespread fame. It sold 20 million copies, earned Shania her first Grammy. Her third album was even bigger. Come On Over became the best-selling country music album of all time and the best-selling album from a female artist of all time. Both of those achievements due to the album's monster hits. Songs like From This Moment On, That Don't Impress Me Much, Man, I Feel Like a Woman, and This One, You're Still the One. When
2: I First Saw You...
1: That was Shania Twain with You're Still the One. Shania, celebrating her 51st birthday. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Bob Komskin for Libby's Nimer, who will be back next week. Thanks for joining me.
0: Be sure to come back next week and stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. executive producer Moses Nimer